Well, good morning, everyone. I just want to welcome you to our service. If you could find a seat, it's good to see so many people here filling the house of the Lord. Well, it's a great day to praise the Lord. I'm glad that you're here. You know, yesterday is gone. Tomorrow is not promised. But this is the day that the Lord has made. You know, we're going to stand together in just a minute and sing, sing songs. And we're going to fulfill the scripture that we find in Ephesians. It says, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's do that this morning. Please stand. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I will say this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for He has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for He has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for He has made me glad. I will enter His gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter His courts with praise. I will say this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for He has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for He has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for He has made me glad. Please be seated. Well, good morning. If you are visiting or new here, my name is Tim. I'm one of the one of the pastors here at Three Lake Evangelical Free Church. It's good to have you with us this morning, whether you're joining us here in person or you're joining and watching online. And one of the things at Three Lake Evangelical Free Church we want to be about right, is we want to be a community that strives right, to reach people with the gospel. We want to grow to be like Christ. We want to serve others. And so if you have your bulletin on the inside, right, they're kind of Three ways, like one way to do each of those things we have coming up. So in terms of reaching people with the gospel, we have an opportunity on the 4th of July to kind of serve our community by distributing water and flags at the 4th of July parade on the 4th. And so if you want to be a part of that, either by donating water that we can distribute or by helping distribute the water and the flags, you can either drop off water at the office, outside the office, or... You can contact the church office for more information about um, helping distribute those things. And then in terms of growing to be like Christ, one of the ways you want to grow is inviting you, especially those who have been here for a while, to be part of 
our church is a member. And so I'm going to talk more about this at the end of the sermon, but we value church membership. And so there's an opportunity on August 14th to take a class to learn more about what it means to be a member here at Three Lakes Evangelical Free Church. That'll be from 9 to noon on Saturday, August 14th. And then in terms of serving others, we have Vacation Bible School coming up July 26th through 29th, and we need people who want to serve our families and the community through um, Vacation Bible School. So if you want to serve them that way, you can contact Sherilyn. Her information's in the bulletin as well. A couple other announcements. Um, so this, this afternoon at 3 o'clock, we'll have a memorial service here for Virginia Elson. Um, at 3 o'clock this afternoon, we'd like you to join us for that. And then there will be a reception following that over at the Writer Center. And then on, because of the 4th of July being on Sunday, we won't have Sunday service here, but we will instead gather on July 3rd at 6.30 p.m. for a Saturday evening service on the 3rd. So we'd invite you to be part of that as well. As we kind of get our hearts ready to worship together, will you pray with me? Father, we thank you. We praise you for the people you have gathered together in this place this morning. You've worked in each one of our lives in different ways over different seasons of life to bring us all here. We can gather together as people who desire to learn about you, to worship you, and to glorify you. And whether we're here this morning as people who have stepping into these doors for the first time or people who have been here for many years, we all desire to bring glory to your name and to see your name glorified. So that, that, that would take place here this morning. You would be glorified, that you would be honored as we sing, as we hear your word, that our heart to be fixed on you, that you would conform each of us more and more into the image of your Son through what takes place here. That we would be reminded, that we would grasp even more deeply than we ever had before how precious a gift Jesus is, what a great thing he did for us. That we would continually be amazed by what a great Savior Jesus is. And what an awesome God you are. And we pray for people who are either here this morning going through a hard season or people who can't be here because of some sickness or trial, that you would you just be with those who are hurting this morning, whether it's emotional pain or physical pain or whatever it may be, that you would be with those, that you would work in people's heart to bring, to bring peace, to bring assurance, that even in the midst of hard times, we would all see your glory. Would you be glorified this morning by all that takes place? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the ways we want to worship this morning, along with singing, is I invite you to worship through your Give, giving, your, your tithes and offerings, especially if you're a regular attender here, a member here, you can give either online or in the boxes on the back. If you're visiting, please know that we're not asking you 
for money. We want this service to be a gift to you. But for those of you who are regular attenders or members, we invite you to worship through giving. And with that, I will turn it back over to Eric and our worship team. Great. Thank you, Pastor Tim. Let's continue to worship the Lord. If you are able to and wish to, please stand and let's praise the Lord. Could see 
Is he 
says, my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him. My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a well-framed of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign and his yoke is easy, and his birth is lighter. I wish I could describe him, for yet he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. Well, you can't get him out of your mind. You see, you can't get him off of your head. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out
Father, we pray that we can indeed sing that we know that our Redeemer lives. That Jesus, you came and you died for us, but that was not the end. You rose again. That you live now, seated at the right hand of the Father. Because of that, we can be confident that we will also rise again one day. That this world is not all there is. We live in light of that truth. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you're visiting, you've been working our way through the book of Luke the last while. So this morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 8. We're going to look at verses 1 through 21. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn there. If you need a Bible, there should be one in the seat in front of you. So when I was in, I was in high school, we had like required phi ed classes. Right? And so the first two years, freshman and sophomore year, you took, everyone took the same phi ed class. Right? Freshman gym sophomore gym, whatever. But then junior and senior year, you had a choice between two phi ed classes. You had one phi ed class that was called lifetime sports, which is basically you have to take gym class, but you like, don't have any competitive streak, so here, take this lifetime sport class and go bowling and whatever. <laughs> There's another class called active team sports, which was like gym class for people who turned in a monster when they did anything competitive. Right? And like I felt bad for people like in the middle, right? But there was nothing for them. It's either like no competitiveness at all or super competitive. Right? But me, being the type of person I am, I took active team sports. Right? So I just competitive nature, took active team sports. And so in that class we played a lot of the sports you would expect. Right? We played flag football, we played basketball, we played softball and volleyball. But then as the year went on, we started to get into more and more kind of obscure sports. We play things like lacrosse and team handball and field hockey. And like, so just as the year got, went on, like it got more and more obscure. Until like the very end of the school year, I remember one day walking into class, no idea what was going on, but there's like there's tennis net set up in the gym. And there's like in two buckets. One bucket had these weird kind of square plastic paddles in them. Another bucket had these wiffle balls in them. And the fire teacher said, like, today we're going to play pickleball. And I, like, looked at the supplies. And I thought about the name. I'm like, there is no way that's a real sport. <laughs> like, you just, like, needed to do something to fill the end of the school year. So you just made up this stuff out of leftover gym equipment. <laughs> that was... Like, so we, like, he taught us these rules, these weird rules about, you have to, like, let the ball bounce twice, and, like, this, no way this is real. Like, I enjoyed the game, like, I, I like paddle and racket games, but, like, there's no way it was a real sport in my mind. So then, fast forward 15 years, and I walk into the YMCA in Coonar Rapids, Minnesota, where we were living at the time, and I, like, look in the gym, and there's this big group of mostly retirees playing Rack, pick pickleball. Like, oh, this is like a real thing. <laughs> and so I, like, I walked in, like trying to figure out what this was about, and they 
they invited me to join a game. They let me borrow a paddle. They made me feel welcome. They refreshed me on the rules of the game. Like, I started playing. Like, I've been hooked on the game of pickleball, like, ever since. Like, play all the time. And, like, through that experience at the Y, I got to know those people really well. Like, most of your retirees, like, I was the youngest person there by, like, 30 years. And yet they, like, welcomed me in as, like, a chance to get to know people who I wouldn't otherwise get to interact with. It was just a fun, a fun time. And, in fact, one of my biggest fears in moving here, like, I moved here about a year ago, like, one of my biggest fears in moving here was that I won't be able to play pickleball anymore. <laughs> right, like, small town, like, surely they probably don't have, like, plans to play pickleball. But it turns out my fears were unfounded. And, in fact, I remember, like, I, like, first thought about coming here, like, looking into the town, one of the first signs that God gave me that maybe this is, could be a place that would work. It's like, I went on, I'm like, trying to level with the town, went on the Chamber of Commerce website, and you go to, like, things to do, in the Chamber of Commerce website, I think we have a picture of it up here, right? and, like, six things down, on the Chamber of Commerce website, it's pickleball, right? <laughs> That was, like, the moment that I knew, like, oh, this town might be all right. Like, it's ahead of snowmobiling, so it had to be a big deal. <laughs> like, one of the things that is below is water, right? Which, we can agree water is not a thing to do, right? And so I think we can safely say pickleball is, like, one of the top five things to do, according to the Three Lakes website. Right? But it's not just Three Lakes. According to The Economist, pickleball is the fastest-growing sport in America. Which raises the question, like, why is pickleball so so popular? Why is it growing so quickly? And there's this, there's this rule in video game design called Bushnell's Law, which says that a video game should be easy to learn and difficult to master. It should be easy enough that you can kind of pick it up and have fun playing it almost immediately, but then also be hard to master. That can use to challenge you over time so you keep coming back. I think pickleball is the same thing. So effectively. And in fact, like the head of USA Pickleball says this. He says, unlike tennis or golf where you need to take lessons to become adequate, you can get on a pickleball court and within an hour or so, you won't be terrible. <laughs> Which is true. Right? Like I picked it up pretty fast and yet, and yet I've been playing the last four years consistently and I still like regularly face people who are way better than me. It's, it's easy to learn. It's hard to master. Right? And because of, of, because of that, like you can play and not be terrible. Right? So therefore, you respond to the game positively. The very first time you play, you respond positively. Right? And then because it's easy to learn, it's easy to share with your friends and invite them to come play with you. And like they'll come and enjoy it. And like you don't have to be a master. You can just come and enjoy the game you know, the first time you play. And then like once you've kind of responded to the game, you've kind of gotten into it, it's really easy to find clubs and groups of people to play with who will make you feel kind of part of the pickleball family. Right? And it's this process that repeats itself over and over again. Right? People respond positively to the game, and they share the game with other people, and then they kind of become part of the pickleball family. Right? And this pattern of respond and then share and then join, right? it's the way pickleball grows. But it's also the way many other things grow, many other hobbies. And importantly for us, this morning, it's also the way that Jesus calls the church to grow. So we'll see that here in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 21. 
So what we're going to see in this passage this morning is that Jesus is going to call us to respond to God's Word and then share God's Word and become part of God's family through God's Word. So let's look at Luke chapter 8 together, starting in verse 1. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. And so, uh, these verses kind of set the stage for us for all of chapter 8. Right? And so Jesus is on this kind of preaching tour. He's going from town to town, preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. You can kind of imagine what kind of stir this would cause. Right? By now, enough stories about Jesus have been kind of circulating throughout the region. People have been claiming things like, did you hear about this guy, Jesus? Right? He, he can heal the sick. Like Someone even told me he rose... Raised the guy from the dead. He, he claims he can forgive sins. He like, fights with the Pharisees. He's an interesting guy. And so people are eager to hear him wherever he stopped. People from towns all over the place would come out to hear him teach. And like Back then, the options for entertainment were not extensive. And so like you can either like go listen to this guy who's doing these incredible things, or you can like sit home and Watch the goat eat grass, or I don't know what else you would do. Right? So like, people choose, like, let's go watch, listen to Jesus preach and see what we might see. And so large crowds gather. And they're probably there hoping to see miracles. Maybe they're hoping to hear some anti-Roman rhetoric. But instead, in this passage, they get a, get a pretty simple story. Continuing in verse 5, Jesus tells this story. While the large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it, and choked the plants. Still other seeds fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he had said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. So when Jesus said that, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear, he's acknowledging that there's some in the crowd who, they're mostly there to to see miracles. Or they're there for a different variety of reasons. Whether to see miracles, or just they're curious, or they're bored if they come out to see him. And many just came out because, well, everyone else is doing it, so I might as well come out and see what this is about, too. And for those people who came out to see Jesus for those kind of reasons, they're going to leave disappointed. But some people in the crowd, they came out to really hear Jesus, to really hear what he had to say. And so when Jesus says, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear, he's talking to those people. It's those who really want to understand him. Those who really want to learn about this kingdom of God. He's talking to those people. Like, whoever is here, let them hear. This is what I'm saying to you. And then he goes on to explain 
the parable to his disciples in verse 11. That this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear and the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stand for those who hear, but as they go on their way they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. So the point of this parable ultimately is to call us to respond to God's word. But not just respond in any way we choose, but to respond in the right way. So just so we're kind of on the same page, let's refresh. Right? So the seed in this parable, the seed is the word of God. It is the message of the kingdom that Jesus was preaching. Right? The message that Jesus was coming to forgive sins. We need, we need a Savior. That's the message that is being sown. And the sower is the one who is sharing that message with other people. And the soils are the hearts of people who are hearing God's word as it's shared. And so Jesus in this parable then is saying that there are there's three, three wrong ways to respond to, to God's word. Three wrong ways to respond to this message of the gospel. And one correct way. And the first wrong way to respond is, is symbolized by the path or by the hard soil. In those days, like, walking paths would cut straight through farmer's fields. Right? They wouldn't be like these kind of walk between fields. They would just kind of walk right in between fields. And so as the farmer's going around scattering seed, planting in field, he's inevitably going to plant some seed on these hard-packed paths right? that go right through the middle of his field. Right? And that seed that he plants, right, that is no hope of growing into a fruitful plant. It'll be food for birds. And if the birds will come and eat it, it'll still struggle to put its root in the hard-packed ground. If it does manage to sprout, it'll be walked on because people are walking on the path. But that seed on hard soil has no hope of becoming a fruitful plant. And Jesus says that some people, when they hear God's word, are like this. Their hearts are just kind of cold to the Word of God. The second they hear something that's the slightest hint of godliness, they're out, they're uninterested. It doesn't matter what you say, it doesn't matter how winsomely you say it to them, they're not going to listen. They're not going to even consider the things of God. That's one way people don't respond rightly to the Word of God. They just immediately reject it. And some of you know people like that, and it breaks your heart to have these people in your life who have no interest in the things of God. But one thing that's not explicit in the passage, but I think it's implied there, is that right, soil, especially a path like that, could change over time. Right? It's not a permanent state. Right? That plows exist. Soil can be changed. But just because someone in your life is, has so far rejected God's word, that they've been hard soil, doesn't mean it's a permanent State. That doesn't mean you should lose hope for them. So that's one way to, that some people respond to God, where they just reject it out of hand. Then there are people who, 
who hear the word of God, and immediately they, they respond. Right? They seem interested. Right? They jump into Christian activities. Like, and from the outset, everything looks great. Like they're doing all the right things. But then after a while, some kind of trial comes along. Right? Or maybe they're exposed to some new or interesting philosophy or religion or worldview until they stop following God. Like I think of friends that had people I knew like in college through, through the Navigator Christian ministry that's a part of in college. Like a lot of these people came to college and they got connected with the Navigators in one way or another. And many of them, before coming to college, had no or little Christian background. But then they came to college and they formed all these friendships through the Navigators. They started attending Navigator events. They started to learn the things of God. They seemed genuinely interested in the things of God. But then over time, I've seen some of them like, fall away. Right? Like maybe they realized that following Jesus meant forsaking the kind of wild, exciting college lifestyle. Maybe they were challenged about their beliefs in a class by non-Christian friends. And they couldn't give satisfactory answers. Maybe they went through some trial or tragedy in their life. But whatever the cause, right, the central issue was they had no roots. Right? The knowledge and belief that they had gained in a short time did not have time to deeply ingrain in them. And so they started to fall away. And Jesus said that these people are like seed planted on rocky soil. Whenever I've read this before and I've seen the reference to rocky soil, I've always just pictured like dirt kind of mixed in with lots of rocks. But that's not actually what Jesus is talking about here, right? Apparently in that region, it's pretty common for there to be like a healthy, thin layer of topsoil right on top of a thick layer of limestone. So this is what Jesus means when he says rocky ground, right? This, this, this plants that grow in this healthy layer of topsoil, but it's so thin that the roots have no room to go down, and the root can't penetrate the solid limestone. And because of the, that limestone is so close to the surface, the ground can't hold much water. You put that all together, and it's not a healthy environment for plant growth. And that's what happens to some people when they first hear the Word of God. And that's what happened to some of my friends who are in the Navigators. And that's not to say that, like, we should be leery of anyone who suddenly embraces Jesus. Right? In fact, like, I have lots of friends from Navigators who heard about Jesus through the Navigators and are still following him closely and have grown and matured. But it does mean that as we walk alongside people who come to faith in Jesus, right, we must help them learn not just broadly about Jesus and Christianity, but we also must help them learn deeply. We must help them put down deep roots. We must teach them how to answer the legitimately hard questions that Christianity faces. We must show them how Jesus is better than any alternative that this world offers. We must see that God's goodness is real, even in the midst of trials and tribulations, that God is still good. People must understand the depth and the richness and the expansiveness of God's goodness and glory. We must be a people who know God deeply and then who lead others to know Him deeply as well. Right? That's why like, 
grow, growing to be like Christ, is one of kind of the focuses of our mission statement as a church. We want to not only just kind of share the basics of God's Word, but we also want to be people who put down deep roots in the Word. People who are able to withstand whatever trials and tribulations may come. So that's two ways of responding to God's Word. To reject Him immediately, or to be like rocky soil, and then to be excited about things, but only on a surface level. The third type of response to God that Jesus lays out in this parable is that of the thorny soil. And so in this region of Israel, there are these like, weeds that have these sharp thorns that can grow to be like six feet tall, as tall as I am. And needless to say, like, a plant trying to grow among those weeds is hopeless. Like, they will sprout at first because you don't need a lot of sunlight to sprout at the plant, but then as it tries to grow and get sunlight, it's going to be blocked out by these thorns and weeds that are around it. And so like, the same thing is true in people, for some people who, when they hear God's word, they will listen to God's word happily enough. They may accept many things people have to say, and many things the Bible has to say. But they'll accept them until... The teachings of the Bible smack up against their real-world concerns until the Word of God threatens to actually impact their life, until they realize that the Bible has has something to say about how they spend their money, until they realize that God cares how they use their time, that God cares how they treat their annoying neighbor, until they have to choose between doing things the world's way and doing things God's way. And when faced with that choice, the people who are like those planted among thorns will choose the world's way. And so we have these three kind of negative ways to respond to God's word. To reject it outright, to embrace it quickly but with no depth, to embrace it until it collides with the cares of the world. But then there is the right way to respond to God's word. And that is the good soil. And what Jesus says is people who hear the word and retain it and by persevering produce a crop. That's the one who properly responds to God's word, the one who not only hears it, but then who also retains it. They retain God's word. They stick with God's word in the face of challenges, in the face of the cares of the world. They retain it through all the ups and downs of life. The good soil perseveres and produces a good crop. And that word perseveres is, I think, really important to this passage. Like what matters about soil is how it nurtures seed over an extended period of time. So often we think about coming to faith as a, a one-time event. Like I, I place my faith in Jesus on such and such a day and such and such a year. Like, and there is truth to that. There is a moment when that seed first takes root. But the only way to determine what kind of soil a seed is really growing in is to see how the plant grows over time. So we recently planted some apple and pear trees in our yard. And according to the nursery we bought the trees from, it can take up to five years for those trees to, to produce fruit. And so in the time since we planted them, we've been encouraged to see the tree grow and the leaf and the flower in some cases, and everything looks good. But ultimately, the way we'll gauge the success of those trees is 
whether they're producing fruit in 5 and 10 and 15 years. Ultimately, the goal of a plant is to bear fruit, to produce a crop. And the same thing is true for us as Christians. Once we have responded to God's word, our role then becomes to share God's word with the goal of producing more people who will respond to God's word. Once we have responded to God's word, we become, we become the sower in this parable. And one thing to notice about the sower, it is not the sower's job to differentiate what kind of soil he's planting in. The sower, the sower's job is to sow, to throw seed. And our job as Christians is to share God's word with people and then trust God to, with the results. It's not our job to pick and choose who we share God's word with based on how we think they might respond. Our job is to sow seeds and then to let God worry about the response. And Jesus illustrates this further in the next section. Verses 16 through 18 say, No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have, will be taken from them. The sower doesn't worry about what kind of soil he sows in. And even more so, like light does not pick and choose what it shines on. Like, light's job is to shine. Light's job is to illuminate things. It makes no sense to light a lamp and then hide it somewhere that doesn't illuminate anything. And in the same way, it makes no sense for a Christian to, to know the Word of God, but not to share it with other people. If you, if you have heard, you have believed the message of the kingdom, this message that you are a sinner, it's deserving of hell, but that Jesus came to die for your sin in your place. That you have, and by having faith in Him, you are saved. That's your only hope of being saved is through faith in Him. If you really have received that and responded to that and believed that, how can we not share it with others? And this is why the reaching portion of our mission statement is so important. that We want to reach people with the gospel of Jesus. We believe that the gospel of Jesus is a message that everyone desperately needs to hear. And that Jesus has given us the privilege of being his chosen means to reach people with that message. So as we, we go out, live our lives, and talk to our neighbors and our friends and our co-workers, like our, our desire is to sow seed and to Reach people with the gospel. Having responded to God's word, we should be moved to share God's word. But also, responding to God's word does something else for us. Look at verses 19 through 21. Now Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, Your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. He replied, My my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. 
my, bro- my mother and brother, to those who hear God's word and put it into practice. And it's easy to, to read those words and think that Jesus is being disparaging of his immediate family. But that's not what Jesus is doing. Instead, what Jesus is doing, he's, he's making an incredible statement about what happens when we respond to God's word, when we place our faith in Jesus. When we, when we hear God's word, when we put God's word into practice, we become part of God's family through God's word. We become brothers and sisters with our fellow Christians all over the world. And the bond that results from that is a bond that is even stronger than family. And that's not a comment on how weak family bonds are. It's a comment on how strong being bound together by Jesus is. And that's why I really believe that church membership is so important. Being, part, being a Christian is being part of a family. Being part of God's family. And yes, like when you become a Christian, you, in one sense, automatically become part of God's extended family. But in his wisdom, God has ordained that his extended family should gather together in smaller family units. And we call those smaller family units like the local church. So by becoming a member at a local church, it's an opportunity to declare that you are committing yourself to the brothers and sisters in Christ in that body. Church membership is an opportunity to join arms with fellow believers and commit yourself to them. And it's also an opportunity to invite brothers and sisters to to hold you accountable. To say to them, like, if you see things, if you see ways that I'm not responding to God's word like I should, if I'm not sharing God's word like I'm called to, if I'm not living the life that our Father has called us to live, then I want you to feel free to point out the sin in my life. Like sometimes we need people in our lives to do that. And often, like the people best positioned to do that are our family members. So church membership, by joining a family in that way, is a way to ask people to help you live a godly life. To say to your fellow church members, look, I know I'm a sinner. I know I make mistakes. I know I have blind spots. And I want those sins pointed out in my life. I want to grow in godliness. I want to grow to be more like Jesus. As a member of the same family, will you please Will you help me see my sin? Will you lovingly, kindly, graciously point out the sin of my life so that I can grow to be more and more like Jesus? There's nothing like magical about church membership. But it is a way to declare that I want to be part of God's family. I want to be part of God's family in this local place. I want to invite my fellow family members to help me grow in godliness. I want to invite my brothers and sisters to help me become more and more like my big brother, Jesus. And I know many of you here this morning are here from out of town, or this is not your, your home church. And like, I'm glad you're here, that's great. And like, my goal is not to get you to come be a member here. My main concern is not to see our church membership numbers grow, primarily. 
my main concern is seeing Christians around the world grow in godliness. And I really believe that church membership, whether it's here or another church, is an important step in that process. So if you're not a member of a church, I would encourage you to consider church membership wherever home is for you. So when we, when we hear God's word, when we have responded to that word by placing our faith in Jesus, right, we, become, we become part of God's family and we, place, we share God's word with other people. So I just want to close this morning by asking kind of three questions to help us process that. The first question is, have you responded to God's word in faith and by putting down deep roots? Have you heard the message of the kingdom that Jesus was preaching on this preaching tour? You are a sinner who needs a Savior and that Jesus dying on a cross is your only hope of being forgiven of your sins. If you've not responded to that, if you've not heard that or responded to that, then I would invite you to place your faith in Jesus as your only hope of forgiveness. If you have heard that and you have a kind of a surface level knowledge of that, and then to push in and to put down deep roots, to study God's word intently, to be in God's word daily, to learn about the things of God so that when trials come, when storms come, you are able to withstand whatever trial it may be. So that's the first question. Have you responded to God's word? The second question, and is do you share that word with those around you? Do you do what God has called you to do? Have you, are you a plant that is producing a crop? Are you bearing fruit? Are you being a sower who is sowing seed? And you have conversations with neighbors and friends and co-workers. Are you talking about the things of God with them? And the third question, have you identified yourself as a, a member of God's family? So that brothers and sisters in that same family know that they have the freedom to hold you accountable to represent the family name well. And if not, I encourage you to consider what that may look like for you and wherever you're at in life. We want to want to be people right, who who read God's word, who are deeply rooted in God's word, and because we're so deeply rooted, we can't help but share that with others. We want to be people who help each other grow in His Word as well. But just a minute, we're gonna we're gonna pray, and we're gonna sing one more song, and then I will come back up and dismiss us. Let's pray together. Father, we we thank you for your Word. That apart from you revealing your word to us, in both the person of Jesus and in the Bible, that we could not know you on our own, but that you have chosen to reveal yourself to us, to make yourself known. You've made yourself known in a way that despite our sin, despite our failures, you did not leave us innocent, but you sent Jesus 
to die on the cross in our place to pay the penalty we couldn't pay. So that by placing our faith in Him, we can have eternal life. God, will we who know that message, would we not lose sight of how incredible that message is? Would we be so overwhelmed by the greatness of that message that we can't help but go and tell other people about it? We proclaim the good news of the kingdom to those around us. We unite with our brothers and sisters to grow in our knowledge of you and to become more and more like Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, let's stand together and respond to this message and challenge by singing an old hymn that is a prayer. to the Word of God in our life, sharing that Word with others, and drawing closer to our brothers and sisters in the family of Christ. You are dismissed.